Take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. One of the things that you introduced me to when we first got to Southeast Texas came by way of the pounding that y'all gave us. If you're not old school Baptist, you may not know that a pounding is when a minister comes to town, the church throws a party and pounds them with staples like you know, sugar and flour and those kind of things. And so one of the things that you taught me that I was not aware of was this magic powder in Southeast Texas. Not that kind of magic powder. Some of you <laughs> stay with me. This is the magic powder that comes in a round cardboard container in red, or at least some red on the label. It is called slap your mama. <laughs> you see, I, I came from all other parts of Texas where you know, each one of them has their claim to fame as it relates to food. But what I have really enjoyed about Southeast Texas is the ability to spice up food. And so if you haven't tried slap your mama, I would encourage you to do that, but start small and work your way up, all right? is not for the faint of heart. And in case you're way past Slap Your Mama, you can get that other one that y'all also included in the spices that you gave me, which is called Punch Your Daddy. <laughs> and just so you know, Punch Your Daddy will make your mouth go on sabbatical. All right? I put some on eggs one time, and uh, it was hours before my tongue worked right again. Um, so here's the deal. Um, Steaks are great, but steaks with the right seasoning on them, ah, that's heaven, right? Um, and I want to take that picture and pull it into church life because I believe that God has given us an element of church life that is, well, it's the spice of life when you get right down to it. A personal walk with Jesus Christ is, first of all, necessary. If, if we try to do life without a relationship with the creator of life, then life doesn't work right. And so Jesus Christ came, the Son of God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, qualified as the perfect sacrifice, and his death, burial, resurrection provided us the opportunity to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, restored from our sin nature to that which God created us for. That's good news. Wow, I thought surely I'd get the Baptist rolling with the that's good news part of it. But here's, here's part of where I think we, we often slip into a little bit of problematic thinking. And that is that we so emphasize the personal relationship, that personal decision, which is absolutely necessary. That's the entry into life to accept Christ as your Savior. But then when we try to do life on our own, even our spiritual lives, where we're totally on our own, we miss something of what life can be like. Because the reality is that God designed us in our lives to be lived in community with one another. It's the spice 
of a good life anyway. The spices as we go and we begin to interact with one another and we invest our lives in one another. And so we come to this thing called group life and it is the perfect spice for living out the Christian life. Today, we take another step with our summer series where we have been highlighting different values I call them pillars because these pillars together form and uphold the culture around which we live our lives together. The way we do life at Crestwood Baptist Church is driven by these values. And either we already have them and so I'm underscoring those or we don't have them as we need to and so I'm promoting those. And all of those come together for us to do life together in such a way that is affirming to the identity that we've been given as children of Christ. And so this one today is the value that says make space. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but I want to start with, okay, so the sermon title is Tight But Loose. And here's the tight part of that. Let's spend a little time in this passage first. And then we'll kind of lay it out for us in the way we live. And by the way, I listen to these sermons every week after we get through in here. And after last week's, I kept going, man, this guy should shut up. It's like forever. So I'm going to be short today. Of course, short is relative, right? Um, The Olympics are short. All right. The book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41. And this is at the end of Simon Peter, the account that that Luke gives us of Simon Peter's sermon and the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming and all of that. And so verse 41 picks up that story and says, so those who received his word, that is Simon Peter's, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so Luke, after giving that as a kind of a tie-off to the story, the narrative that he's been giving us about Simon Peter and the day at Pentecost and what the Holy Spirit did there, now Luke takes a step backwards as if, it's as if he inserts a pause. And he gives us one of these statements, a summary statement. We find peppered throughout the book of Acts where the narrative, the ongoing story is interrupted. He steps back and he gives us this bird's eye view, this snapshot of what the church looked like at that time. And so here's the first of those summary statements and listen to the way they did life together. Listen to how tight they were as a group of new Christians. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And I'll finish reading verse 47 in a few moments, but I want us to stop and let those first handful of verses kind of seep into us and soak into us. Here is a group of people. First of all, I'm amazed at verse 41 that 
in a given day, this fledgling little group of followers of Jesus, and by now it's not just a handful of people anymore, but by the time this day is over, verse 41 is over, we find now thousands of people who have cast their lots in, and they are now believers, and they are now followers of Jesus Christ, and in one day, incredible church growth. For those of you or those of us who happen to be either ministers or somehow involved in church and running churches, that's a scary day. We celebrate, it's great church growth, look at all these people come, but I look at it from the administrative side of things, the logistical side of things, and all of a sudden now we were doing church and it was comfortable for us and we were doing this and now all of a sudden look at all these new people. What are we gonna do with these people? If this church had 3,000 people join today, you're going to have to come see me in the hospital tomorrow. <laughs> now, I'm willing to try, but I just have to tell you, that's an incredible statement to me. And the reason it's incredible is because I live my life in a day-to-day, ongoing way of doing church and trying to figure out how do we do this so that we don't lose people, so that people don't fall between the cracks, so that we don't somehow drop somebody in ministry. And all of a sudden, all of these new people. And I think Luke, I think he gets it. And so he steps back from that as if to let that last verse sink in. And he gives us this picture of how they did church. I love the fact that the picture that we have is that this is a tight group of people. They come together. They're living their lives together. Now, one of the problems that churches get into in this day, in our day, is they take these summary passages, and especially this one, and they try to make it prescriptive. In other words, Luke says, okay, so here's how you're supposed to do church. And so then we start finding communes and those kind of things where we're just going to shrink back and we'll all do it together and we'll pool our resources. And, you know, so uh, that's fine if you want us all to come to your house to eat your groceries for lunch. But if we're coming to my house to eat groceries for lunch, there's not enough, okay? Find another place to go. So that whole we're going to do it all together kind of thing makes good sense. It makes good press, but it's awfully hard to pull off. And yet they were doing it. Now, one of the things we have to remember is that in this first century, the earliest first century church now, uh, it was not the same environment that we have today. They're house churches they're, they're trying to figure out how to do this, and eventually they'll begin to push their way and, and push their teachings into the synagogues. But in the meantime, what we have is this group of people that are trying to figure out, okay, so how do we do this thing called the Christian life together? And so those few verses tell us they worship together, including temple worship, and they ate together. We might say they partied together in, a, in an acceptable way. They just did life together. I wonder what it looks like for us to be a tight community. This is the thing, if you have your bulletin there that gives the announcements of different things that are going on. So I think it's at the very top of that stuff. We give uh, kind of that statement that we use to drive what we do to hopefully capture what we're trying to create here. And the first little element of that that you will find is Crestwood is a connected community. That's this picture. 
That is that as a church, one of the values that we have, and I affirm this one today, this is not one that I'm necessarily pushing to say, hey, we need to create this. I I think we can do better with it, and we'll talk about that before this is done today. But this is that value that we have that says we're going to do life together. We want to be connected. We don't want to just attend the same building together. We want to invest our lives in one another. So we have their picture of what it looks like here in Acts chapter 2. What does it look like for us? You know, let me see if I can help you this way and maybe put a little real life spin on this. I told you a few weeks ago, actually probably over a month ago now, that Teresa and I on that particular day were going to load up and go to the woodlands to my grandson's first birthday party. Uh, and some of you asked me later how that went because I'm, you know, I was not really wanting to go do that. I mean, I love my grandson. I like my daughter. I can tolerate my son-in-law, but um, oh, that, I love them all, okay? Um, but I, I knew that it was going to be this event in somebody's home that I didn't know uh, with a bunch of people that I didn't know, and it just sounded like work to me. And so we went over there and did that. And many of you, Loving people. <laughs> hey, how'd it go? I was a little worried about you. You know, how to... so we we made it fine. But uh, there was, I think, John told us a couple of weeks when he was here he, that there was like sixty people there, um, and most of them were in John and Lauren's age group, so somewhere in their twenties, between twenty and thirty, probably. Um, that's a whole lot of people in one room. Okay, so now I'm going to pull back the covers a little bit and let you know just how messed up your pastor is. I kept thinking to myself, this kid's one year old. He's not going to know if he had a party or not. Just tell him it was fun and let's go on about our business. But Lauren made a comment. For those of you who don't know, this is my daughter. She made a comment that all of a sudden, boom, like the light bulb came on for me. She said... And actually, I I heard it through Teresa. Uh, But the comment was, they did that party for all of those people who were in their church or churches who had rallied to their side during Declan's early days that were so difficult. So in other words, the party was not so much a birthday party as much as it was a thank you party to those people who had carried them through. That's a picture of this. A church that is tight has a way of stepping into the gaps of people's experiences. When things for you are not going so well, Having a church family with whom you are connected, tight as we're saying it here, that church family steps in and holds you up in ways that you can't get on your own. That's the picture here. I've seen this as this week, I saw it numerous times, but in a couple of very real circumstances, I watched with great pride in this church as this church rallied to the side of two different families going through horrible experiences. And I watched those families as they responded to the help, to the hope, to the 
love that was shown to them. That's this picture. So Luke is careful to tell us. He interrupts the flow to say, you need to know what this early church looked like. They were tight. We find that verses 42 through the first part, verse 47. And in case that doesn't totally get it for you, let me throw this example out for you and maybe it'll help enough and then we can move on. Um, You know these plastic devices that your children use to put landmines in your carpet? They're called Legos. You know what I'm talking about? You ever step on one of those in the middle of the night? You speak languages you didn't know you knew when you do that. Legos are a great example of what I'm talking about on two different fronts. Here's the first one. Those little plastic pieces are designed to be used with other plastic pieces. And so, in case I know all of us know what they are, but just in case somebody just came in off of you know something, um, those little circles that are on the top that are raised, those are designed to fit underneath another Lego. And so you can build all kinds of stuff. Matter of fact, I remember back when, I don't know how long they'd been out, but our son Brandon loved building stuff with Legos. And so we spent money we didn't have for one of his birthdays or something and bought him a Lego pirate ship. And it took him hours and hours and hours to put it together. But he got it together. And once he had it together, he was like militant that nobody touched it, especially his little brother or his little sister. And so the design is such, different colors and different shapes and all that stuff, but the basic design is the same, and that is on one side there are raised round little circles and they fit up underneath another piece and so you can connect them together like that. That's the connected part of our connected community, if you will. But you see, something has to hold us together. This is not so simple for us. We, we can't, in other words, say on that Lego that the little circles that do the holding there, we can't say that that's because we go to the same church. We come to the same building to do church, but I'll guarantee you there are people in this room who if you look across the room can look at least one person and say, I don't have any clue who that person is. And the reality is most of us have many people that we don't know who that person is in this room. They might be a serial killer. Some of them are. (laughs) Maybe. So it's got to be more than just coming to the same room. Some of you went to the football game last night, right? How do you choose between the Texans and the Saints? And the answer is you choose the Cowboys. Come on. So I know some of you went to the game last night, right? Would it be fair to say that all of those people in Energy Arena or whatever they call that thing now, that all of those people in there together were not tight with one another? Going to the same place doesn't make us what we're talking about today. It just puts us in the same space. There's got to be something else that holds us together and that, that holds us together are our values, but chief of our values is the thing that pulls us all together is that we gather at the foot of the cross, Jesus Christ, and nobody else holds us together. You see, that then becomes the basis for our relationships with one another. 
This is important because now I'm starting to string together all these other values that we've been talking about, these pillars that we've looked at through the course of the summer. And we started off with people matter. And so we have to treat them like they matter, which means, as we said last week, you got to trust some people. And some people are hard to trust, but they're harder to invest in, which is what I'm saying today. We only do that because of Jesus Christ. But because of Jesus Christ, we now have this decision to make because Jesus said, this is how I designed this thing called the Christian life. You're to do it in community with other Christians. Our Western society works against that. Our Western 21st century society essentially says, you know, you come to Jesus on your own, just you and him. That's true. And your best spiritual growth is done by yourself. Eh, there's enough truth in that for us to go, well, I sort of get that, but there's also some heresy in that. And ultimately, if we're not careful, we let, again, as I've said several times this summer, we let the society out there dictate how the society in here is going to operate, and that's wrong. So we come not as individuals only, but as a family because of Jesus Christ. Our society will work against that. Social media, one of the great smoke screens of history on this point. We can hide out in our own little worlds with our smartphones or our laptops or our desktops and we can participate in social media and make believe that we have a circle of friends. If you have 500 friends on Facebook or Instagram, chances are good you have four friends and 496 snoopers. And so what happens is we get either too tired because our busy schedules work against this also. So we get either too tired or too solitary to want to invest in other people. And we have the smoke screen that says, well, I'm part of such and such a church or I have all of these friends and ultimately we live our lives alone. So let me just say, before I move to the second half of this, that um, our church and particularly our leadership team here acknowledges that this is hard. The stuff that we're talking about here is not easy. Oh, it sounds easy. And the theory of it ought to be easy. But the reality of our lives is such that it makes this investment of my life into somebody else's life, it makes it very difficult to pull off. And so one of the things that we, we just have, you, we, I want you to know is as hard as this is, it still is a priority for us as a church. We intend to be good at connecting. And we have a ways to go in some areas. I totally get that. But our intent is that we'd be good at connecting. And so one of the things that that means is we're going to do all we can to get you into a group, a small group, if you will. That's a catchword in our church age. I understand that. But, but the reality is we do better when we invest ourselves in a small group of people. Here's why I say that, and this is going to come into play in just a moment. Go back to that Lego thing for a second. Now, I know they have all different sizes of Legos and all different 
designs and all that kind of stuff, and they've done that so that you can make different kind of things. But, but the reality is any given Lego only has so many of those raised circles on the top of it. And, and so let's just say that we have a Lego that has six of those things, and so it's such that you could connect it with a couple of different pieces or whatever, but there's only six of those raised round uh, knobs on the top of one of those Legos. If we put that into the terminology of our day here, here's one of the things that sociologists would tell us and psychologists would tell us, and that is that you can only sustain X number of meaningful relationships at a time. And so if that number is six, and we put you in a group and we say, We want you to connect with these people. But your six knobs on there are already taken up. The reality is that you're not going to really connect with that group of people too much, even if you'd like them. So one of the things that we have to be careful about, I'm talking about the church staff side of this thing now, is we have to be careful that we don't so plan stuff and so structure life at church that we get people going, I just can't do another church thing. So don't be surprised if we go into the new year and it gets a little simpler to be part of church around here. But whether it's us or you or your schedule or whatever, one of the things that is going to help you in your Christian life to grow to be more like Jesus Christ is to get involved with a group of people, a small group of people, who will help you grow. Now, for us, one of the things we've said as a church is our Sunday Bible study. We, some of us call it Sunday school. Some of us hate the school word, and so whatever you want to call it. But we have designed that, and we're going to continue to do that. And we need to do better at that so that we have plenty of opportunities for people to go, okay, I need to grow in a small group of people, so we'll work on it. You'll be hearing more about that as we go forward. My pledge to you is that we as a church will maximize your opportunities so that we don't just flood you with stuff you got to do, but when you are doing something, it works. It matters for you. So be tight. But the other half of the sermon title is Be Loose. <laughs> See, here's a, there's a danger with being tight. Our tendency is to get in a group of people and we get tight with that group of people and then we seal the entrance behind us. So there's no room for anybody else. And maybe that's because of that Lego thing I'm talking about. We can only have and sustain so many uh, relationships that are meaningful and so we get into that kind of group uh, and, and then there's just no room for anybody else. I, I don't have the energy to, to learn this new person's name or to care about what's going on in their lives. It's not that I don't care, it's just that I'm full already. So I want you to hear me. I'm going to say a couple of things that might be a little controversial if you don't hear me rightly, all right? So I'll give you that heads up, because here it comes. A lot of churches are accused of being cliquish. You understand that term? It's really fun from up here sometimes to just watch people go, did he say something? Um, so here, here's a deal. I, I remember years ago working with a church that had some real issues on cliques. 
Um, and so one of the things I did with them is I changed the way we talked about them as a way to get past some of the negative connotation. Maybe this will help you out. Call it a clique, call it a subgroup, call it a small group, whatever you want to call it. Here's a reality of life. Everybody needs one of those. Okay, that was dramatic pause because I just said something that a lot of churches kill themselves to try to get rid of. Everybody needs to be in a small group. I would say in your life, chances are better than average that you're already in a small group. You know what the definition of a clique is? It's a small group that I'm not a member of. You're a clique. I have friends. And so what happens in church is we begin to set those things off out there. And we identify this group over here. Let me just tell you one of the cliques in this church. So y'all stand up when I... I figured you'd be listening on that one. See, I really do believe that we each need a small group of people that we're going to do relationships with, okay? If you don't have that anywhere in your life, you're a lonely person. And God didn't design you to be living that way. I, I know it's easier. You know why it's easier to be alone? Because people are weird. Uh, you don't have to look very far to see that. Look around. You're looking at me. I get it. But you see, here's my, my deal with this. The problem is not that there are these small groups of friends. If you want to call them a clique, that's fine. The problem is when that small group of friends seals the edges of that group and nobody can come in. Now, that's a problem. That's not God's design. Okay, so we have to work with reality that says we can only handle so many of these relationships at a time um, in a meaningful way. But the other side of that is we're saying to, the, to this community, there is room for you to come in. So we need to be tight in, in our friendships and in the way we do life together. But we need to be loose to say when somebody walks in the door, maybe that somebody is you today and you came in here going, okay, let's just check out these people at Crestwood. All right? One of the values that we build around is there is room for you in this church. And I don't mean just to pick a, a chair out there and say, okay, I'm going to sit in that chair from now on. I'm saying there is room for you in a group of people in this church who is going to help you become more like Jesus Christ. That's one of our values. That's the culture we seek to create here. So if you're in one of those groups of people, first of all, good for you. I'm, I, I mean that from the depth of my heart. I'm glad and happy that you have found a place to plug in with people here. We want that. But make sure in your groups that you keep pushing the edges out, thinning the edges, thinning the margins so there's room for people to squeeze in. Okay, that's the terrible way to say that. If somebody's got to squeeze into your group, 99% of people won't bother to try. So we make space, always make space. Press the edges so that there's room for people to step in. But that's hard to do. It is really hard to do. 
So what do we do with all of this? I told you I'd keep it short, so let me finish it off. I think that we need to make space within our groups. That's what I just got through talking about. In your group, okay, if you're a Sunday school class, a Bible study class, there's room for other people in your, in your group. There's got to be. And we're going to try to push them in there. If somebody comes to me and I invite you to come to me, hey, I want to be part of one of those groups, you come to me, we'll get you in one, okay? Also, on top of that, we're going to work this coming year to get those to be much better than they already are because it's important. It's, it's part of the DNA and it's part of the foundation of how we do church. We have to be good at that. So make space in your groups, but here's another reality. We have to make space for other groups. <laughs> this one gets dicey. So I'm listening to this podcast. Actually, I listened to quite a few of them. And um, I, I'm currently in the middle of, a lis- uh, of listening to an interview. It's about the middle of the interview where this guy, Kerry Newhoff is his name. He's a lead- church leadership kind of a guy. Uh, And he just brings people in and he interviews them. So he's interviewing a guy named uh, Lee Kriker. Lee has a weird, Lee got a pastoral mulligan. He started this church somewhere uh, many years ago. And then he left the church, went into private business. The church called another pastor. That other pastor was there for a while. He left. The church called Lee and said, hey, we want you to come back as our pastor again. That's a mulligan. He gets to try it again. Right, But here's what happened. In those years that he was gone, that church failed to make room for other groups. And so the original group people just got old. And so when he got there, it was a church of almost exclusively 70 to 80-something-year-old people. Now, if you're 70 to 80-something years old, God bless you. I know how life gets when we get to be old, right? I know you're tired and all that kind of stuff, but whatever. I'm, I'm glad that in j- this church, we have lots of different groups, demographically speaking. And that church was not the case. And those 70 and 80-year-old members of Lee Kriker's church said this, we like the way we do church. And they weren't going to change. And so Lee Kriker came back. Now, he had the advantage of being the founding pastor of that church. And he came back and he said, if you want me to come back, we're going to do some things differently. And you know how that goes. Okay, sure, whatever. So he comes back and he starts doing things differently and people start being ready to crucify him. He went to this one lady and he said, so we need to make this change and I hear that you have a problem with it. And she said, "I, I don't have a problem with it really, if, if I'm for whatever change the church needs to make, as long as they don't make those changes until after my funeral. And he wisely responded, this church won't survive long enough to get to your funeral. We'll have a funeral for the church before yours. It was dying. Any church that refuses to make room for other groups is just waiting to die. So, they started making changes. And she left with her checkbook and went to another church. And that other church buried her. And he said it was okay. See, this gets dicey. It's okay to talk about 
well, you know, they'll get somebody else to make room in their group. For, but we start adding other groups with people who don't think exactly like we do. Remember, the thing that holds us together is Jesus Christ. We gather at the foot of the cross or we don't gather at all. So a lot of other things come in. Would you be okay if a Democrat wanted to join this church? If you are a Democrat, okay. We're, you're home. I don't care. So we have to make room for other groups. But you know, by definition, if you're not going to let people into your group, you don't get a say in what those other groups look like. Okay? So just do everybody a favor and keep your mouth shut. Or find another place to go. Because this church intends to be a place where people matter. And because of that, we make space for other people. I don't believe this is a sermon that I'm having to preach to hold up the standard for us to say, hey, we should, you know, we should adopt that. I think that's the DNA of this church already. I really do believe that. I'm not sure that we always get it right, but I think we always want to get it right. So now it's flagrant because I did preach on it. So let's hold each other accountable and let's get there. And if you happen to be one of those who comes to church and you're not part of a small group, a Bible study or whatever, I would really encourage you to find a place, all right? Sunday morning is when the, our main time to do that. I'll be teaching with the stuff that kids will be doing on Wednesday nights. I'll be teaching a Bible study. Uh, that starts not this week because we thought we need the parents a chance to get kind of settled in uh, with the new stuff. But so the, not this Wednesday, but the next, I'll start doing a Bible study on Wednesday nights. That'll be a good entry. If, you, if you're not sure you want to go into a group of people, you don't really know them. You have to listen to me already, so, you know, Wednesday night, what's another hour, right? So, find a place. Plug in. Okay, if you're already in a group, train yourself to look for people who are here on Sunday that you don't really know them. And then reach out and grab them, figuratively speaking, and pull them in and let them know they matter because they do. All right, let's pray. And so, Father, we ask you to take these thoughts these words and make us what you want us to be. Help us to get it right is our prayer in Jesus' name. And so the last part of the last verse and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That early church was forced daily to make space. Wouldn't it be great if we had that problem?